listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 290, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 96 to 104. Chapter 7. The apostles and disciples meet in order to solve some doubts, in particular about the form of baptism. They administer that sacrament to the catechumens. St. Peter celebrates the first Mass, the doings of Mary in the meanwhile. 96. It is not the object of this history to relate all the doings of the apostles in the order followed by St. Luke nor to record all that they did after the descent of the Holy Ghost. For though the great queen and lady certainly knew all that passed, yet many things happened where she was not personally present. Of such, it is not necessary to speak here, nor would it be possible to describe the manner in which the heavenly queen cooperated in the works of the apostles and disciples, and in all else that happened. For in order to do this, there were need of many large volumes." It is sufficient for my purpose, and for the sequence of this history, to select the salient points of the Acts of the Apostles, written by the Evangelist, and make intelligible much of what he omits concerning our Queen, and what was not to his purpose, nor proper for him to write at that time. 97. As the Apostles continued their preaching and wonders in Jerusalem, the number of the faithful increased. And, as St. Luke says in the fourth chapter of the Acts, after seven days reached five thousand. All of them were busy catechizing the newcomers in preparation for baptism, though that work was done principally by the disciples. For the apostles were preaching and were conducting some controversies with the Pharisees and Sadducees. On this seventh day, the Queen of Angels, being in the retirement of her oratory, and considering how the little flock of her divine son was increasing, asked the Lord to give light to the apostles in order that they might begin to institute a government for the better direction of those children of the faith. Prostrate upon the floor, she adored the Lord and said, Most high and eternal God, as a vile worm of the earth, I wish to praise and exalt thee for the immense love thou hast manifested for the human race. And because thou showest the mercy of a father, By calling so many to the knowledge and faith of thy divine Son, 
glorifying and spreading the honor of thy name through the world, I beseech thy majesty, O Lord, to enlighten and instruct thy apostles, my masters, to dispose and order all that concerns the government, amplification, and preservation of the Holy Church. 98. Then the most prudent mother, in the vision of the divinity she had at that time, perceived that the Lord was very well pleased, and answered her, Mary, my spouse, what dost thou wish, and for what dost thou ask me? Thy voice and thy sighs have sounded sweetly in my ears. Canticle 2.14 Ask what thou wishest my will is inclined toward thy petitions. The heavenly Mary answered, My Lord and my God, Master of all my being, my desires and my sighs are not unknown to the infinite wisdom. Psalm 37.10 I desire, seek, and solicit thy greater pleasure and satisfaction, thy greater glory, and the exaltation of thy name in the Holy Church. I present to thee these new children, with whom thou hast so quickly befruited it, and also my desire that they receive holy baptism, since they have already been instructed in the faith. And if it is according to thy will and service, I desire also that the apostles commence even now to consecrate the body and the blood of thy Son, in order that by this new and admirable sacrifice they may give thee praise and thanks for the blessing of the redemption, and all the favors thou hast through it conferred upon the world, and also that according to thy will the children of the church may in it receive the nourishment of eternal life. I am but dust and ashes, the least handmaid of thy faithful and a woman, and on that account I hesitate in proposing this to thy priests and apostles. But do thou inspire, O Lord, the heart of St. Peter, the vicar, to ordain what thou wishest. 99. The church therefore owes thanks to Most Holy Mary for this special blessing, that by her most discreet attention and intercession, the body and blood of her divine Son was consecrated for the first time after the ascension and after the coming of the Holy Ghost. It was natural that through her efforts the bread of life should begin to be distributed among her children, Proverbs 31.14, since she was richly laden and prosperous vessel which brought it from heaven. The Lord then answered her, My beloved dove, let what thou wishest be done. My apostles, with St. Peter and John, shall speak to thee, and thou shalt order through them what thou wishest to be done. Immediately all of the apostles entered the presence of the great queen, and she received them as usual by reverently falling on her knees before them and asking their blessing. This St. Peter, as the head of the apostles, imparted. He spoke for all of them and represented to Mary how the newly converted had already been instructed in the mysteries of the Lord's faith how it was just that they should receive baptism and that they should be marked as the children of Christ and admitted to the bosom of the church. He therefore asked the heavenly mistress to point out the order to be followed as most appropriate and pleasing to the Most High. The most prudent lady answered, My master, thou art the head of the church and the vicar of my divine son in it. All that shall be ordained by thee in his name shall be approved of him, and his will with thine shall be mine. 100. Thereupon St. Peter ordained that on the following day, which corresponds to, to the Sunday of the Most Holy Trinity, baptism should be given to those who had been converted during that week. This arrangement of St. Peter was satisfactory to our Queen and to the other apostles. Immediately there arose a doubt 
as to what baptism was to be given to them, the baptism of St. John or the baptism of Christ our Savior. To some it seemed that the baptism of St. John, which was that of penance, should be given to them, and that through it they were to enter into the faith and justification of their souls. Others, on the contrary, said that with the baptism and the death of Christ, the baptism of St. John had expired, since it had served merely to prepare the souls for the reception of Christ the Redeemer, and that the baptism of the Lord gives grace sufficient for justifying the souls and for washing off all the sins from those properly disposed, and that it was necessary to introduce it immediately into the church. 101. This opinion was approved of by St. John and St. Peter, and was confirmed by the Most Holy Mary. Hence they determined to institute at once the baptism of Christ our Lord, and to confer it on the new converts and the rest who came to the church. In regard to the material and form of that baptism, there was no doubt among the apostles, for all of them agreed that the material should be natural and elementary water, and the form should be, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, because these were the manner and form designated by the Lord our Savior, and these words he had made use of in the baptism he had himself administered. This way of baptism was observed always from that day on. Wherever in the Acts of the Apostles it is said that they baptized in the name of Jesus, this saying does not refer to the form, but to the author of the baptism, namely Jesus, in contradistinction to the author of the other baptism, that of St. John. To baptize in the name of Jesus was the same as to baptize with the baptism of Jesus, but its form was that which the Lord himself had given, and contains the express mention of the three persons of the Most Holy Trinity, Matthew 28:19, as the foundation and beginning of all the Catholic truth and faith. The apostles therefore ordained that all the catechumens should gather in the house of the Senecal in order to be baptized, and that the seventy-two disciples should have charge of preparing them for that occasion. 102. Then the great lady, having asked permission, spoke to that whole congregation and said, My masters, the Redeemer of the world, the true God and my Son, out of love which he had for men, offered to the Eternal Father the sacrifice of his sacred body and blood, consecrating himself under the species of bread and wine. Under these appearances he resolved to remain in his church, in order that its children might have in it the sacrifice and food of eternal life that they are to expect hereafter. Through this sacrifice, which embodies the mysteries of the life and death of the Son, the Father is to be placated, and in it and through it the Church shall give the thanks and praise with which it owes him as its God and benefactor. You are the priests and ministers who alone are to offer it. It is my desire, if such be your will, that you begin to offer this unbloody sacrifice, and that you consecrate the body and blood of my divine Son, in order that we may render fit thanks for the benefit of his redemption, and of the sending of the Holy Ghost into the Church, and in order that the faithful, by receiving the sacrament, may begin to enjoy this bread of life in all its divine effects. All those may partake of the sacred body who shall have received baptism, and who seem to be more fit and better prepared. But baptism is the first requisite for its reception. 103. All the apostles and disciples conformed to the wish of the Blessed Mary, and they thanked her for her solicitude and her instruction. It was resolved that on the following day after the baptism of the catechumens, 
the body and blood of Christ should be consecrated, and that St. Peter should be the celebrant, since he was the head of the church. The holy apostle consented, but before dismissing them, he proposed another difficulty to the consideration of all, namely, concerning the order to be observed in receiving and distributing the alms and the goods of the newly converted. 104. He therefore said, My dearest brethren, you already know that our Redeemer and Master Jesus, by his example, his doctrines and commands, ordained and taught the true poverty, Matthew 6.20, in which we should live, abhorring and shunning the cares entailed by riches and possessions, and neither desiring or amassing wealth in this life. Besides this salutary doctrine, we have before our eyes the recent and formidable example of the perdition of Judas, who was an apostle, as we ourselves, and who, by his avarice and covetousness, went astray, and has fallen from the dignity of the apostolate into the abyss of the wickedness and eternal damnation. This tremendous danger we must avoid, so that no one may hold in possession or handle money, and that all may imitate and follow the strictest poverty of our captain and master. I know that all of you desire this, well understanding that, in order to preserve us from this contagion, the Lord has placed this risk and chastisement before our eyes. Therefore, that we all may be free from the hindrances connected with the gifts and alms brought us by the faithful, it is necessary to arrange some form of administration. It is proper that you now determine upon the manner and order to be maintained in this reception and the description of the monies and gifts of the faithful. This concludes our reading today for day number 290. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 96 to 104. Our reading today begins to relate to us what is going to be included in this volume of the mystical city of God. It's not going to be the entirety of what is related to us in the New Testament by St. Luke and the Acts of the Apostles or by St. Paul in his letters, but it's going to give us the different events especially that relate to the Blessed Mother. In one of our previous volumes, we read about Mary being that woman of Proverbs 31, that woman of great worth. And today in paragraph 99, it seems that it's talking about Mary as that woman again, but there's also kind of this subtle hint of the church. It was natural that through her efforts, the bread of life should begin to be distributed among her children, Proverbs 31.14. So remember, the woman of great worth gives food to the needy, distributes bread, and all of these different things. And, well, now we have the bread of life. We have these converts who are being gained, and then they're going to be admitted to the Eucharist. And now the bread of life being distributed among her children. Now, those could be the children of Mary. Mary is mentioned in the first sentence, but there could be the possibility that here we reference the children of the church. And in Mariology, we often talk about what's called Ecclesia Typica Mariology, that Mary and the church are united, that who Mary is, the church strives to be, that the church mirrors that of the Blessed Mother. And it's interesting then here 
to kind of see that subtle Ecclesia Typica Mariology, that Mary and the church are giving this bread to her children, the bread of life. Quite interesting, we talked about the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus and which one should be given. And I think it is appropriate, of course, that the baptism of Jesus is the one that is selected. Now, the baptism of John is almost implied within the baptism of Jesus, that you renounce sin, that you convert to the gospel. So it's implied, I think. But remember what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. Go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now these apostles, they've been sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they're to do. They're to baptize in the name of our triune God. And this is the work that the church undertakes. Not only then, but still today. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.